0: Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning to you and welcome to everybody who's joining online. My name is Josh and uh, I am, I, I can't wait to bring you the scriptures today. Uh, you know, um, I want to say a, a, I hope, hope you had a wonderful Independence Day uh, this last week, I know, I know, I did, and um, and I, you're gonna see some of some of this is influenced because you know we don't know when to celebrate it, right? We we mentioned it last week. This is the week though that I studied during it. Okay, so during study time on this passage, I gotta say I was I was all dressed up in my my red, white, and blue as a you know as a good American does on the fourth, and um and I gotta tell you though the thing that I kept thinking of on the fourth is how much I wanted to watch a movie about freedom. Because, you know, I'm I'm thinking about freedom, and I started thinking about freedom movies. In in particular, I I thought of a number of them. One of the most iconic ones is when I thought of William Wallace riding out on his horse and saying, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Ah, You know it, you know it. I thought of, I thought of uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption when Andy Dufresne finally lifts his arms up. That's all I can tell you about that one. <laughs> I remembered when, you remember this one probably, when President Thomas J. Whitmore, you remember him, played by Bill Pullman, stands up on the movie aptly named Independence Day, and says, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We are going to live. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day, and I wanted to rise up and fight the aliens. Okay, well, these, these movies, they ring true with us. So I think of the other one I think of is, is Carl Friedrichson who broke free from the corporate greed and consumerism and he floated his house above for freedom. Remember that? <laughs> Remember that? Ah. Oh. Okay, maybe that's a little different. <sighs> but there's something about freedom that just makes our hearts sing. There's something about independence where we say yes, And yet, I have to compare those ideas of freedom with this line right here. It says, I can do nothing on my own. Now, who says something like that? Who says, I can do nothing on my own? That doesn't sound like a free person. That doesn't sound like an independent person. It sounds like someone who is fully dependent. It sounds almost like a slave. Yet, those are the first words of our passage today. This is spoken by Jesus. Jesus himself, our hero of the faith. Jesus, the the bondage breaker, the one who sets the captives free. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I was studying this passage, it happened to be on Independence Day, and I started seeing Jesus portraying, being so dependent, I thought to myself, okay, something is going on here. What is it? And the thing that struck me is that there is a unique relationship between dependence and independence, and I, I think that we're going we're to see how this plays out as we, as we wrestle with this passage in John chapter 5 today. What we're going to see is that it is only in dependence that we can find true independence. It is only in dependence. Now, I'm trying to pause there, especially for our uh, audio-only podcast listeners, that I'm not saying independence twice because that would make no sense. It is only by living in a state of being dependent that we can actually find independence. And I'm gonna show you how that works out, but let me just define the term real fast just so we make sure we're on the same page. Dependence is, this is the Oxford English Dictionary, defines it as the state of relying on or being controlled by someone or something else. So to be clear, what I'm saying is the only way to be free of this is actually to rely on it, to to be in a state of relying on, being in control by something else. Interesting. It sounds like it's the opposite. And yet, what I want to show you is that this is true in all sorts of areas. In fact, it's even true, it's even true of the holiday that we just celebrated. That it is true that when we celebrate independence, in Independence Day, what we're celebrating is another form of dependence. Let me see if I can show you. So in the document that uh, was originally entitled, The Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America, we know it as the Declaration of Independence, right? And, and, and in this document, some of the most famous words, you've heard these before, are this. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governor. Now, get this. We believe all humans are free, liberty, their they life, they have all, they're free, they're independent. And in order to secure said independence, we need another form of, well, dependence. We have to be dependent on something for our independence. Interesting. It is only in dependence that we can find true independence. So let's jump in the passage today, and uh, I'd like to see if Jesus agrees. I think he does. So let's, uh, let's dive in, in verse 30 of chapter 5. But just let me remind you of what we're dealing with here. Um, Jesus had just, had just made the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of his day, really mad because he performed a miracle on the wrong day. Okay? Okay? Um, remember, you know, you just can't do it on the Sabbath. And sure enough, he did. And not only that, but he started saying why he could do that, why he had the freedom to perform a miracle anytime he wanted to. It was because he had a very special relationship with his father. And he, they, they recognized he was talking about God. They recognized that he was claiming to be one with God they saw this as blasphemy. Uh, basically, it's not the kind of language that you want to use in first century Israel unless you're willing to die for it. And so, that's what happened. Now, it's as if he's in a courtroom here. Okay, He's, he's giving his defense. Okay? They, they've cornered him. And, and now he's defending his actions as to why he's free. He's independent over this law because of who he is. And this is why he and he alone can claim this very special relationship. And this is how he begins. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay? He's claiming full and complete dependence. It's not me. It's the Father. You remember we've been talking about that, this, this relationship between Jesus and, and the Father. They, they kind of are always doing that. They're always deferring, always dependent. And I think that there's this beautiful relationship with the Trinity that is always dependent on each other. It's only there that Jesus finds true independence. Then he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, I just got to point out to you uh, how much I love, I love, Lord, no. Um, I love Jesus's intellectual honesty in, in this moment, okay? Now, what Jesus is doing here is is making sure that that we understand something, very clear, and that is that we do not, we do not, and I do not encourage you to believe anything that I'm telling you just blindly. There is blind faith is not Christian faith. And that's why Jesus is making it very clear, he's pointing out the truth of the matter is that my testimony alone, even Jesus's alone, is, is not enough. What, what he's saying is, is you he's recognizing the truth of the matter is that you can't just go around claiming to be God. And then expect everyone just to believe you because you said so. Okay? And so that's why he's going to give us evidence. You see, um, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. Okay, we do not want you to turn off your brains when you come in here. This is a thinking person's faith. And because of that, it is a reasoned faith and it is reasonable There are good reasons, and Jesus is going to show us that. He's going to give us four pieces of evidence that that point to the fact, that show that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he is doing. And I think that these four evidences are also four, in a sense, dependencies that we need in our lives, that we need to be dependent on these things as well. And so let's dive in and see where he goes. In verse, the first one we're gonna see is in verse 32. It says that there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Here, Jesus is saying, hey, look, there's a guy named John who has testified about me. Not that the testimony I have received Is from man. First of all, he's saying, "Hey, I'm not. That's not the only thing I'm relying on. It's not just you know me and another guy. There's more. There's more coming, and you're going to see that." But I say these things so that you may be saved. In other words, I'm giving you John. I'm going to to use somebody that you know and trust because I want you to be saved. This is important to him. But then he says, "I think." some of the kindest, most beautiful words that could be said uh, about another person. I just love this. John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while while in his light. Now, i I read this a while back and in that Bible, I remember (laughs) highlighting it and just writing next to it. Uh, I wish this would be said at my funeral, that, that Josh was a, a burning and shining lamp. And we were willing, we enjoyed his presence, rejoicing for a while in his light. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to be said about anybody? Oh. And the point that Jesus is making, though, is that he's not going to rely on, he's he's not going to be dependent on just anybody. However, he he is dependent on people. Jesus lived life in community with people. He needed people. And I think what his encouragement is, is that we need to be dependent on trustworthy people. Not just anybody, but trustworthy people like John was. And this is what we need. We need godly, trustworthy people in our lives. We need people that we can depend on. We need people, especially when times are hard. You know, um, over the last, uh, the last number of weeks, uh, the last you know a few months, it seems like this, there's been a, a refrain. There's been people have come into my office, um, have set up appointments or whatever, and, and we've been talking. And, and one of the things that, That keeps coming back time and time again is that people have come with doubts. They've been coming in with, you know, difficult times. They're they're in darkness, as it were. And specifically their doubts have to do with whether or not they're saved. And so in talking with some of these people over the last few weeks, it's I've been, I've been, you know, giving them scriptures and then giving them really like well-reasoned arguments. But that's not always what they wanted. That's not always what they needed at the time. In fact, a number of them I've I've sat with, I've I've explained some things, I've walked through scripture, but then I've just looked at them in the eye and said, you know what? As somebody who has dealt with and talks to people about faith a lot, what I see in you is a person of faith. What, What happened there is, I was able to see something in them that they couldn't see. And you know what? for just a little while, I was able to, to be a little bit of a light when they were in a dark place. I was able to provide something for them and you should see their, their face just, oh, thank you, thank you. That means a lot. And, and you guys, I just got to point out, I think that that's what, that's what we all need. We need that in each other. That there's times when we need someone else to speak into our lives and see something that we can't see. Truth of the matter is that we are dependent on each other and we need to live that way. And sometimes that's a step of dependence, of saying I'm willing to take a step and live in dependence. One of the ways, there's lots of ways, but one of the ways we do that around here is with what we call life groups. And so I, I just wanna encourage you as a step as a step of dependence, is to, to take a minute and, and visit our website. Go look for a life group. Okay, we're, we're gearing up for fall. There's gonna be a bunch of groups launching and maybe maybe God's calling you to start the group that you're looking for. And so I encourage you to come on and, and find that community that's gonna build you up, that's gonna be a light for you. But the second factor that Jesus is living independence of, is seen in verse 36. It says this. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Okay? John, I was just telling you, just because I want you to be saved, but now I have a better one. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now, what I want to focus in on here, is Jesus did a lot of works. And I don't think he's just saying, hey, look at the miracles. Very specific type of work that he's doing. And they are the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. You see, what Jesus had, what he was dependent on, he was, he was focused on throughout all of his life in his mission was God's mission, it was the mission that Jesus was dependent on the mission that God had given him. And I think this is something that we need to learn how to depend on, that we need to be dependent on. We need to rely on it. We need to let it control us. That's what being dependent means. You know, if you think about the back in 1776 or so, in those years, After they declared independence. Think about what would have happened if they had declared independence, and then everybody who are now independent all went off and said, Woo hoo hoo, we can do whatever we want, we're independent now. And so they all started doing their own thing in different ways. What, What would have happened? well, we'd probably be serving a king, right? Because it doesn't work that way, right? They had to come together. They had to make this effort of fighting for their independence, their mission. They had to put aside everything else, their wants and their desires, and sometimes even their lives in order to say we're focused together on mission. And you guys... I just want to point out that if everyone would have done what they wanted to do, they never would have won independence. They, they had to come together for something bigger than themselves. And this is what the church is. It is a bunch of people coming together for something bigger than ourselves. Yes, we can all go off and you know think things on our own. We can all go our own ways, but that is... That's not the way we're designed to work. That together, we can do so much more. Together, we can pool our resources. Together, our our time, our our talent, our our treasures can go about, did you see, sending 48 people around the world to talk about Jesus. Together, we can do so much more. that is when we're dependent on the mission. Or on mission together because Jesus was, he's very clear about his mission, about the works that the Father had given him to accomplish. He says it in Luke 19 10. He tells us what those are. He says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's as clear as it gets. This is why he's here, this is what he's focused on, this is, this is his mission. And then before he left, he made sure to pass on the mission to us. In the, what I call the, the co-mission, our mission with Jesus is to go, therefore, it's very similar, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. This is now our mission. And so we're dependent on, we rely on, we need to be controlled by the desire, by the effort to the mission to make disciples. To make disciples of our, of our youth. Who then grow up and are sent overseas to join in the greater mission. How beautiful is that? This is our mission. And then Jesus mentions the third piece of evidence. He says this. He starts with this phrase. He says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Now, when I first read this, I thought to myself, oh, the father, the father witnessed about Jesus at his baptism, right? Okay, this baptism. He, the father is the audible voice of the father. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now that's a, that's a powerful endorsement. However, I just got to point out, that's not, what, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. There, there has to be some other way that the father endorsed him, that the father uh, testified about him. And I know that because the next words out of his own mouth is, his voice you haven't heard. Okay, so it wasn't the audible voice of God, the father. His form you have never seen. The Jewish leaders would have agreed. Of course, we've never seen the form of God. And you do not have his word abiding in you, they would have objected right there and said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 We are people of the book. We have his word. We know his scriptures. And yet Jesus says his word is not abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now so what is he talking about here? I, I don't think he's yet talking about scriptures. He's going to in a minute. He's not talking about the audible voice of God. I think he's talking about something else. And I think he's talking about the way, the way that Jesus himself lived in complete dependence on the voice of God in his life. Now, that, that was a unique experience for Jesus. I get it. I get it, that I don't understand completely the way that that worked with Jesus. That, that, I don't know if Jesus you know, actually heard God talking to him all the time you know, in, in his mind. Maybe it was audible. Um, maybe God was telling him what to do all the time. I don't know, but maybe, and I guess I'd say maybe more likely, it was the way that we can hear the Spirit's voice in our lives, that actually we can learn to hear the Spirit talking to us that maybe that was more like it. Maybe it was a bit more subtle. However, whatever we know about the Spirit's voice is, that, is this, that Romans 8 tells us, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In other words... That scripture's supposed to be on the screen. There you go. In other words, the same Spirit who guided Jesus is available to you. That that the Spirit-filled life is available to you. And so the point that Jesus is making is that his dependence is on the Spirit's voice. That's the voice of God that is the evidence of who he is, that points people back to Jesus. This is what he's saying, you guys just don't have. You're not listening. You haven't heard. But it's as if Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders, don't you know that you could learn to listen to the Spirit's voice also? All it takes is believing in the one that the Father sent. And and he's exactly right here. And I want everybody to know and to be clear about this, that that the spirit-filled life, the the life of of being able to listen to the very voice of God, our creator and maker, that that is available through Jesus and through Jesus alone. And all who come under, who, who depend on what Jesus has done, who put themselves in dependence of Jesus by believing what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, by trusting him, by calling out on the name of the Lord, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the, Spirit's, the spirit spirit-filled life is available to you. The crazy thing is when we submit independence, that's when we're given true independence, true freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? And when he does so, you start learning to live in dependence of his voice. But the final piece of evidence that Jesus relies on to make his case is the, is the scriptures. The, the scriptures to Jesus are, are, are valuable, but I have to point out something that he doesn't rely on the scriptures as if it is some magic book. and As if just just reading the words is enough. Some people treat the Bible like that, as if it's, you know, the, the pages are somehow holy or different things like that. They treat it like a magic genie. If I just read it right, then God's going to love me. If I just take care of it the right way, that's not the way Jesus sees it. In fact, he has a very different opinion, and yet these are Jesus' words, and so I want you to hear them. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so I just need to ask you a very simple question here, is do the scriptures lead to eternal life? Uh, yes, no, no, wait a minute. Josh, you're confusing me. What's going on here? I've been told to say yes. I know that is the good book. And what's happening here? And, and I just want you to point out, these are Jesus' words, not mine. But what Jesus is saying here, and, and let me say it this way. Yes, the scriptures can lead to eternal life in as much as they point to Jesus. In as much as they point to the author of life. Remember, it's Jesus that is the Zoe factory, right? He's the one who is giving life. It is Jesus and only Jesus. It's not just the scriptures, it's the scriptures in as much as they point to Jesus. The truth is, there's people who give their life to this book. And they miss Jesus. There's a story of a, of a, a prisoner who, uh, who lived in a dungeon cell for many, many years. In fact, it was one of these situations where they, they locked him away and threw away the key. They didn't give him anything. There was no personal contact with anybody else. They just brought food to him. But the only thing he had was the Bible. The Bible is the only thing he had with him for years and years and years. And so, of course, he read it time and time again. But no one ever talked to him about it. And when he died, they went to clean out his cell. Found the Bible, well used. And then they found all sorts of things scribbled on the walls. They found things like this. It said 31,173 verses. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. He correctly found out the exact middle verse. He said uh, 6,400, 6,604,911 6, 6, words in the Old Testament. 1,800, 1,84,793 words in the New Testament. 789,000. Well, and on and on and on again. He found the middle word in the Bible. Apparently, it's against. He devoted himself to this book. And the sad truth of the matter is that they could find nothing scribbled anywhere that pointed to the that that he understood what he was dealing with. That the message of the Bible got into his heart. They couldn't find a single thing that he found that pointed to Jesus. That he had the book, but he didn't have Jesus. And you guys, this is what's so important about being reliant on the scriptures. Yes, we are going to be dependent on this book, but in a very particular way. Here's how I want to say it, that we need to be dependent on the scriptures accurately interpreted, okay? This is, this is so very important that we've got to become people who learn how to interpret this book, Because it's not just the scriptures. Because as as sad as it is, there's people, you see it on the internet, you see it sometimes on the news, all sorts of people who say all sorts of crazy things because of this book. They can take it and interpret it their own way and twist the words. Sometimes awful, terrible things. You can't believe everybody who just quotes this book. You just can't. We have to be people who learn how to study it. And the truth of the matter is, and we believe wholeheartedly, fully, that this book is completely inerrant. However, your interpretation of it is not. My interpretation of it is not. Here, I am standing in front of you, and I want to be very honest with you. Um, My interpretation of Scripture is not inerrant, I'm going to fail. I'm going to err with my understanding because the fact of the matter is I am not infallible. I am not. I, I, I fail too much. And I, I, I'm sorry. And I, there's going to be times, I mean, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm sure when I get to heaven, you know, God's going to be like, mm, Josh, let's see here. I'm like, ooh, my bad. Right? Now, I'm, now, I'm hoping it's not on anything major, right? But the truth of the matter is none of us None of us have the the perfect interpretation. And so we have to approach scriptures with humility and with work to understand and to figure it out and to learn what it means. But we're trusting the one who is infallible and he's the one who says, all those scriptures, you're going to understand them best when you see that they're pointing To me. That's what Jesus is saying. And he continues this line of argument in verse 45. He says this. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the father. Hey, it's not me that's accusing you. He says, there is one who accuses you and his name is Moses. He's your hero to the Jewish leaders on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, what Jesus is getting at here is the truth that all throughout the pages of Scripture, it's pointing to Jesus. Pointed to Jesus, they just couldn't see it. They claimed to believe in Moses. They studied this book extensively. They were people of the book, and yet they missed it. They missed the fact that God's promises way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, that that was about Jesus conquering Satan. They missed the fact that the clothing that that, that God gives Adam and Eve with animal skins was a picture of God covering our sins through the death of his sacrificial lamb. They missed that God's promise to Abraham that, that through his lineage that all nations would be blessed, that that was Jesus was going to bless them. They missed that God's command for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac by providing a ram was a picture of God providing his own son as our atonement. They missed that the Passover was all about Christ, that the tabernacle was a picture of Christ, that the rock that provided water in the wilderness and the manna for food were pictures of Christ. We can go on and on and on. The book points to Jesus. And that's what we're going to be dependent on. But he wraps it all up. He finishes his whole argument, his defense in a sense, by saying this, I do not receive glory from people. As if to say, in other words, um, look, uh, to the the Jewish leaders, um, I really don't care what you think about me. (laughs) That's, That's not what I'm here for. And then he says, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Okay, now it's a defense. It's all been about himself in a sense, defending. And all of a sudden, just the way that Jesus does, I love this, he turns it on them and says, but I know something about you, that the love of God is not in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. In other words, I come dependent on the Father. You do not receive me. But then if another one comes in his own name, in other words, if another person comes independent of anyone, you're going to receive him. And then he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You can't believe if you're trying, if you're living for yourself, if you're living independent, trying to receive glory from other people. You just can't believe. That is the opposite of faith. Living for yourself, living for the glory from the wrong people. You could say it this way being dependent on other people instead of being dependent on God. They had to switch their allegiances. And it's just not possible. Of course, it's like he's saying, of course you can't believe because you're still depending on the wrong things. You're looking for praise from other people instead of from God. And I want you to notice that that the sign of life that Jesus looks at here. That the sign of life that he sees, right? He said earlier that, the, that, that, that Zoe is not in you. you. You want it. But notice what the sign of life is. I know that you do not have the, la- the uh, love of God within you. In this, in this case, it's the sign of the lack of life. The lack of life is the lack of love. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. And The love that Jesus is looking for is a certain kind of love. Not the love of self, the love of, not the love of more attention. The sign of life that Jesus is looking for is a type of love that is dependent on others, that is willing to serve, that is willing to put themselves underneath. It's it's as if you could say it's a type of love that is patient, it's kind, it, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking. It cares for others, you've heard that before. That's the kind of love that he's looking for. And the truth that we see from this is that when we depend fully on the love of God as revealed in Jesus, that's when you'll find the freedom that your heart desires. That's when you're going to find the freedom that your heart is longing for, that you've been crying out for all your life. You see, there's a reason that our hearts leap when we see those movies about freedom. When we hear people talking about freedom, when we see the chains come off, and people live free. There's a reason for that. It's because we're, we're made for that. Yet early on, our, our, our earliest parents, our oldest parents, Adam and Eve, they were given that choice to be, live as dependent on what God had said or to be dependent independent, and they chose independence. They chose to do their own thing. And we've been doing that. Ever since, what we need to learn is to live as independent. And back to the, that, that founding document that I talked about, that this, this country was founded on this, this, this declaration of independence. It's interesting to me that a declaration about independence is also the place where we find the name of our country. Do you realize that? The, the name United States of America actually comes right here. It's right here. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, right? Um, United would have become a lot bigger, and this is the first place that the name of our country was, was printed. This is where they took it from, the United States of America. But I just have to point out that the whole project of America wouldn't have worked if they weren't united, if each of those 13 colonies decided to do their own thing, it just wouldn't have worked. In fact, they needed all 13 to come together. We we could have called this the declaration of the 13 dependent states of America. That we needed to depend on each other in order to do this. And you guys, this is what We need to be. We need to be dependent people. I want us to be a dependent church. I think we need to be a dependent church. In fact, I gotta tell you, one of the things that I've heard for many years here, uh, people talk about our church and they'll use a phrase to talk about Emmanuel faith. In this phrase they'll say that Emmanuel faith is an independent Bible church and I I was studying for this and I thought to myself, whoa, wait a minute that's not right, now, okay, what they mean it it means something else, it means that we just we don't have a denomination, however at the same time, it just sounds too much like we're trying to do it on our own and I just gotta point out that there's a better way And instead of being an independent Bible church, I gotta say, I'd rather be a dependent Jesus church amen let's be a church Let's be a church that depends on Jesus' people, that depends on each other. Let, let's be a church that depends on Jesus' mission. Let's be a, a church that depends on the Spirit of God who is given to us by Jesus. And let's depend on the scriptures that point to Jesus. Let us be a church that depends fully on the love of God that is displayed in Jesus. Let's together pray a prayer of dependence. Lord God, we come before you and we want to fully rely on you. We want to be controlled by you. Lord God, I I ask forgiveness for the ways that I have tried to live independently, that I've tried to do my own thing. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would come in, that you would take over. Lord, we want to be people that are dependent on Jesus. Lord, I pray that you help us take steps, steps towards dependence, steps with other people. Lord, uh, steps towards your mission of making disciples. Lord God, steps of learning how to listen and pray. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that takes steps towards learning how to study your scriptures, learning how to love. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.